the king of my be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life always is you are you're good oh 
Good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Glad to have you with us today as we get started worshiping together. As we have more and more people kind of coming in, dropping their kids off and coming in, we want to go ahead and get started. Uh, if you're a guest with us, thank you for worshiping with us today. That It just means so much that you're taking a Sunday to come and be with us here today. If you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. Best and easiest way for you to do that is to simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen right now. Just text CONNECT. Uh, we'll send you a link, tap on that, answer a couple of quick questions and send that back to us uh, just so we can know who you are and how we can minister to you in the best way possible. But for everyone... Whatever, big three announcements, all right? Big three things we want everyone to know today. Number one is this, 24-hour prayer. We're very, very excited. We're, we're seeking the Lord that he would allow us to start a 24-hour prayer ministry here at Southview. So that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, we're going to have someone from our church on their face before God in prayer. And so we'd love to start that. And if you're interested in being a part of that or learning more about it, next Sunday, this coming Sunday, uh, after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to meet in the Family Life Center, the FLC, to talk through that, explain a little bit, answer some questions, provide a little information, and see if we can start putting together a, a schedule for that. And we'll grow into it, right? If we don't have it all covered, that's all right. We're going to start with what we have, and we're going to work into it, believing that that's the direction that the Lord has for us. That's going to be next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service in the Family Life Center, if you're interested in learning more about that. Second, men's ministry and women's ministry. We've got a lot of things coming on, all right? One is this, um, for our ladies, we have uh, Priscilla Shire simulcast October 2nd. This is Saturday, October 2nd, uh, from 9 to 3. If you want to be a part of that, text the word BEYOND, that's the name of the event, BEYOND to our number, 910-424-1298. Text BEYOND to get you signed up for that. Child care is also going to be provided for that if you need that. So you can mark on that sign up uh, if that's something that you're going to need. So ladies, sign up for that. Also on October 7th, at the same time, guys are going to go play golf. So if you're interested in that, guys, I think we have 32 spots total. First come, first serve on that. So if you're interested in being a part of that, just text the word GOLF. So that, and again, child care is going to be provided. If mom is here and dad is playing golf, we're going to have child care provided for your kids. But just let us know if that's something that you need. So guys, text GOLF to our number to sign up for that. And then also, guys, we're going to have a men's retreat October 22nd through the 24th at Fort Caswell. Uh, just take a weekend away, spend some time together in the Lord, and see what, the God, what, what God has for us. If you want to sign up for that, guys, text the word RETREAT. To sign up for that, all right? And then my last big announcement for you, 
Core Christianity. So uh, we're starting a new class. It's going to be led by Sam Tart, one of our deacons, called Core Christianity. It's just the basics of the Christian faith. It's a 10-week study. Uh, It's going to be um, during the 930 hour this time. Uh, And it's just going to walk you through the basics of what it means to Christian. And here's who this class is for. Everybody. Right? If you're not a Christian but you're wanting to know more about it, this is going to be a great class for you to be a part of to learn more about Christianity. If you're new to the Christian faith and you're trying to get your hand around this thing, this is going to be a perfect class for you to learn the basics of what it means to be a Christian. If you've been a Christian for a long time, and this is a big part, just to be really honest, this is a pretty significant segment of our church, so this is going to be you I'm talking to, all right? We have a significant segment of our church that grew up in church, has been a Christian for a while, uh, feels like they should know more or be farther along than they are. But it's kind of like, you ever not known someone's name, but you waited too long to ask them their name and now it's awkward? Right? And so now you just kind of hang around just, just trying to find someone else to introduce themselves to so you can hear their name. It kind of feels awkward to jump in. What was your name again? For some of us, it feels that way with Christianity. You feel like you should be farther along than you are by now, and it feels awkward to raise your hand and go, can I get some help? I feel like I should be farther along than I am. This is going to be the class for you, okay? chance for you to jump in, be a part of this, and uh, again, learn just some real basics of the Christian faith. And then also, if you've just been a Christian for years, this is an, um, an awesome opportunity for you to jump into a group and, uh, and just get refreshed in the goodness of Jesus Christ and who he is. If you want to sign up for that, text CORE to our number, all right? 910-424-1298. Just text CORE. We'll get you signed up for that. And any other announcements that we have, anything that's going on, download our app, Southview app. You can do that iTunes or Google Play. Download the app uh, so you can find out what we're doing, sign up for events, give online. There are two ways to give. You can give either online through the app or at our giving boxes as you leave. You can do that either way that you like, uh, but be sure to do that to sign up for anything, see what's going on, and uh, give as well. Uh, real quick, a couple of uh, things I want to throw out you just for housekeeping, and then we're going to jump in uh, to worshiping together. We've got a couple of things going on. We're starting up some new security measures for us as a church. And so over the next month or so, you'll maybe see a little more activity in the hallways during services, during child pickup and drop off. We just want to do all that we can to make sure us, our kids, uh, are as safe as possible while we're here. We think that just makes us good stewards, obviously, of the ultimate gift God's given us, and that's souls. And so you're going to be seeing a little bit of that uh, over the next few weeks as we're ramping that up. One of the ways you can help us with that, mom and dad, is this. When you pick your child up after service, please make sure you have your ticket and give it to the teacher. The teachers have been instructed to not give the child away if you don't have a ticket, all right? Now, that is not a good way for you to give away your kid, okay? Don't do it like that. But please be sure to have that ticket. Um, If you lose it, you forget it, oh my goodness, my husband took it with him and it's in the car and it... We can take you to the, uh, uh, the kiosk where you check your child in and easily print off another one. We can take care of that for you. That's no problem. 
But however you get that, please make sure to remember that. So uh, that'll help with that security process uh, significantly. And then also, uh, we um, made a decision uh, several weeks ago as a church body to do some renovation things, some painting and carpet. We're going to be starting that this week. So in the next few weeks, if you come in and there's... Uh, it feels a little under construction. Maybe you have a bare floor here or there. We're in the process. We're putting all that together. Thank you for your patience uh, as we work through that. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, I want to read a scripture to you as we begin our time together. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I love this scripture. So in our journey group, we we're working our way through the book of Philippians, and we spent some time in chapter 1 this past week diving into this scripture. And as we spent some time with it, it, it just took on fresh eyes for me personally, and I just felt like, boy, I just got to share that. Philippians 1.6 says, and I'm sure of this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Think about that scripture. The Apostle Paul is writing that to his, his friends at the Philippian church. He's not asking God to do something. He knows God's going to do it. What he's doing is he's asking you to believe by faith that God is going to do it. Does that make sense? The issue is not, is God going to do this work in my life? Is Jesus going to bring me to completion? Is he going to mature me? Am I going to grow in him? Is he going to ever leave me? Am I too much of a nut job and a work case that he's not going to devote time and energy and effort in me? The answer to that is no. And the point of Philippians 1.6 is that you would see that and believe that. You are here today. You are here today as another step in the process of Jesus working a good work in you. He is not going to leave you. He is not going to forsake you. And he is not going to stop until he has done everything that he is going to do in you, bringing you all the way to completion. So today I want to encourage you, even if you feel like giving up, Jesus isn't going to. Jesus isn't going to give up on you. So as you bow your heads, and I want to lead us into prayer as we worship. Lord, I ask that you would encourage our hearts to know you are going to finish your good work. You are not leaving us, forsaking us, dropping us, moving on to an easier circumstance or situation. You love us. You saved us. You dwell in us. And you are going to keep working in us all the way to the very end. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that faith rises in us right here, right now. That we would know you are going to do your work. You're going to do your work. I pray, God, that we won't look to ourselves and put confidence or faith in us, but, Lord, we look to you. The issue is not, am I doing better? The issue is, is Jesus promising to keep doing his work? And the answer to that is always yes. So thank you, Jesus. You continue to do your good work in us, and we'll believe by faith that that's exactly what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. I can't wait to see all the great things you do in every one of us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand with us and let's celebrate.
holy God who has saved us for a purpose. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with our offering today. We will sing and celebrate together these truths. We waited for this day. We gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire will burn our hearts with truth.
Worship the Holy. 
give him praise. You may be seated, church. When it first happened, the minutes felt like hours. The hours felt like days. And the horror of what happened, one detail after another, could hardly be processed, much less understood. Then days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into years. Memorials were built, wars were fought, victims' names were read, survivors tried to pick up the pieces over and over again. But no matter how much time has passed, we vow to hold these memories. We will never forget those who were taken from us. The world changes and shifts this way and that. But one thing stays constant. One thing is steady. God. God weeps with us. God mourns with us. God bottles up our tears and records them in his book. He is closer to you than your own breath and remains the cornerstone of life. God is the solid ground holding us up as the world moves beneath us. It's as true today as it was on that day. Our God reigns. He reigns over principalities and powers. His dominion stretches beyond what our eyes can see. And when the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, our God reigns. We will always remember. Lord God, we... As we remember events from two decades ago this weekend, God, I pray that not only do we not forget those events and what that means for us as a nation, but God, I pray for us as followers of Jesus Christ, what we truly will not forget is exactly this truth, that the only thing that stands the test of time, the only one, is you. So, Lord, you are our rock. You are our fortress. You are our foundation. You are our deliverer. It is in you whom we will trust. So I pray, Lord, that this truth becomes bedrocked into our souls. Regardless of what transpires, either for us nationally or for us individually, we know that you are our solid foundation. And it is in you and you alone that we trust. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, find with us the book of Galatians. We're starting a new book of the Bible today, and I am really excited. So for us as a church, we primarily go through books of the Bible on Sunday morning. Uh, that's not the only thing we do, but that is the primary way that we do Bible teaching here because we believe that that is the best way for us to allow God to speak to us through his word if we just kind of walk through it together, right? So, so if you're new here, basically what we do is this. We go through a book of the Bible. Uh, we take a little chunk each week. I, we read a little bit, and then I talk a little bit, and we read a little bit, and I talk a little bit, and we work our way through it and see what the Lord has for us. And so today we're going to begin the book of Galatians. So real quick, let me just set out for you why Galatians. The Bible is a big book. 
66 books involved in it. Why this one? So the book of Galatians, written by a guy named Paul, we may know him as the Apostle Paul, he writes to a group of churches in an area called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Right? He writes to these churches, and the reason that he's doing that is he had gone through there previously, told people about Jesus, led them to the Lord, started churches, raised them up, and then left to go do it somewhere else. And then in very short order, about a year's time, he heard that a group of people called the Judaizers came in and were causing some trouble. And these Judaizers basically were coming in to these churches in Galatia and saying, yes, yes, you have to believe in Jesus to become a Christian, absolutely. But if you're really going to be a strong Christian, if you're really going to do it right, you got to obey these rules also. Specifically the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, and the most specific one that they focused on was circumcision. So yes, believe by faith in Jesus to become a Christian, absolutely. But also, don't forget, you got to do this too. So the Apostle Paul hears this, and he writes this letter to them trying to push back on that. All right, so now you might be thinking, all right, great. What does it have to do with us, right? I don't think that we're going to be adding circumcision on to the new member requirements. If so, that number is going to lean very heavy woman. I got to imagine right now, right? Guys are like, no, I'm good. I'm all right. Thanks. So what does this have to do with us? Listen to me. It has everything to do with us. Here's why. What ultimately the book of Galatians is going to be pushing back on is this idea that you have to now do something, create something, be something in order for God to really accept you and love you more. Right? This idea is ingrained in us as humans and specifically in the Western world. Right? We have hierarchies of Christians. Right? We have varsity Christians and JV Christians and then me. Right? We have people who are really strong in the Lord because they do this, this, and this. And so what we'll do is we'll say, yes, you've got to believe in Jesus, but then you have to do these things to really be strong in the Lord. And what Galatians is pushing back on is saying, no, it is just faith in Jesus, and that is it. And here's how this practically works out for us, okay? So, yes, we're Christians, and yes, we believe by faith in Christ, but then when, when things hit our lives, and we have to work through that, instead of just running to Jesus and the gospel, and what that means for us, we run to other things. And what Galatians is going to show us is the gospel is the answer for everything. The fact that you were born a rebellious sinner who hated God and you deserved the full wrath of God in hell. But instead of giving you that, God sent his son to die in your place to absorb the entire wrath of God on himself and just give you grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, and make you a child of God. That reality changes everything. And now that truth is the answer for every other issue that ever hits your life. Every issue you have in your life is ultimately a gospel issue. So we become Christians and then we have struggles in our marriage and so we try to figure out ways to, to work around that, right? And so, so we're having struggles in our marriage so we need to, my answer is we need to you know, get better at communication, right? Or if my spouse changes, then everything will be okay. And no, that's not true. The answer for your marriage is the gospel. When a husband and a wife 
grow deeper in their understanding that they have been radically forgiven, saved, loved, redeemed, rescued by Jesus Christ. That grace has been poured so lavishly into them, they now poured that grace back out onto their spouse, and that brings healing into their marriage. As a parent, right, the answer for you being a parent is not flipping through Pinterest looking for better ideas. The answer for you as a parent is to see how you were radically redeemed and made new by Jesus Christ and made a child of God. And now God showers his love onto you as a great dad. And as you see his amazing love and grace on you, you now show that love and grace to your children. The answer for sin in your life, if there's a sin that you struggle with, the answer is not more willpower and an accountability partner, although those things may be great. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you see how much you've been forgiven and how amazing his grace is and how how much he loves you and chased you and redeemed you and pursued you even when you hated him, that empowers you to now walk in freedom from your sin. The answer for you, forgiving someone is not, and I've heard them all, well, if they would just admit what they did was wrong, if I just knew for sure that they'd never do it again, then I would be able to forgive them. No, you won't. And time isn't going to heal that wound. Some wounds, time doesn't heal. You know what time does to a deep wound? It causes gangrene to set in. Some of you, you've been waiting for time to heal your wound, and the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you see how gloriously forgiven you are by Jesus Christ, now you're able to show that forgiveness to someone else. Your marriage problem is really a gospel problem. Your parenting problem is really a gospel problem. Your sin problem is a gospel problem. Your forgiveness problem is a... Thank you very much. The questions just get harder from here, really. I was just... No matter what issue you're walking through, email me, tell me what it is, and I'll show you how the gospel of Jesus Christ is ultimately the answer. This is why the book of Galatians is so huge. In fact, Martin Luther, um, the great reformer, he lived and ministered in the 16th century, towering figure in Christian history. Luther says that the book of Galatians is probably the most important book in the entire Bible because it highlights all of the fake false things you're trying to do to get close to God and instead shows you how the answer really is just the gospel. In fact, Luther loved Galatians so much, he said if it was possible to make it his wife, he would marry it. Which is weird. I mean, we can admit that, right? I mean, you you know you're a Bible geek if you're over in the corner like, I love you, will you marry me? (laughs) All right, that's weird. You can admit that. But Luther understood how enormous the message in the book of Galatians was. In fact, if you're one of my people that you love theology, you love doctrine, you love to read, you love to study, you got a mountain of books on your desk, you're always reading, that's great, I love that. You know what Luther told his theology students? He said, I want you to read the book of Galatians 1,000 times before you ever pick up another theology book. Because he said, until you get this really cemented here, All that deep learning is just going to drive you farther away from God, not to him. The answer to going 
deep in the Christian faith is not you getting smarter theologically. It's you going deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what we're going to be doing for the next 12 weeks or so. And we're just going to be doing a deep dive into the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing who Jesus is, how glorious and amazing and life-giving and freedom-giving Jesus is. And my prayer for us is that we walk out of this in a few months as radically different human beings because the gospel of Jesus Christ has done its good work and has changed us. So here's what we're going to do. Every single week, we're going to read together a very simple definition of the gospel, all right? So that when I say the gospel, we're all on the same page and understand what we're meaning, okay? So here it is. We're going to read it together out loud, all right? <laughs> Ready? One, two, three, go. The gospel is right standing with God that was bought by Jesus on the cross, and it is enjoyed only by faith in his work. Anything added to the gospel ruins it, and you miss Jesus. We're going to do this week after week after week after week because I want us to understand the glorious, amazing gospel of Jesus Christ that came not as a result of a single, solitary thing you could ever in a billion lifetimes do. It is just by the glorious, scandalous, unbelievable, audacious grace of God that saves wicked, vile, disgusting people who deserve hell. If we understand how glorious and beautiful and amazing this grace is, that grace of God changes us. So we're going to jump in and ask God to do that very thing. So I want to pray for us, and we're going to jump in to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. So Lord God, we ask you to do your work. Holy Spirit, you do what only you can do. We are just here before you and say yes. Holy Spirit, open up your word, speak to our hearts. Jesus, you show us who you are as our great and glorious God and Savior, and let us forever be changed. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Galatians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. I stop just for just a quick second. So we got Paul. Now, here's what you're going to see. So it starts out, it says, Paul, an apostle. The word apostle means someone who's sent as a representative. So what Paul is saying is he is sent by who? The resurrected Jesus Christ. Right? He is sent by God himself, the resurrected Jesus. He is sent to proclaim this message of the gospel. What you're going to see as you go through the book of Galatians is one of the big pushes that the enemies of the gospel are going to say towards Paul is he's not a real apostle. He didn't walk with Jesus. He didn't see Jesus crucified. He didn't see Jesus raised from the dead. In fact, he was running around killing Christians who did all those things. He's not a real apostle. He can't be trusted. So Paul's going to spend the first couple of chapters in Galatians defending his apostleship and defending the right he has to speak truth into this church. And here's why that's a big deal for us. You ready? Who you listen to matters. As we walk through the book of Galatians, 
you're going to have this voice inside your head that's going to keep pushing thoughts like, this is too easy, this is too simple, believe in Jesus? No way, you got to do this too, and you have to do that too. Your own self-condemning thoughts are going to rise up in you. You're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you need to do things better. Who you listen to means everything. In the Gospel of John, Jesus told his disciples, I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I want to ask you, as we spend time in the book of Galatians, ask the Holy Spirit to let his voice be loud in your heart and push out all the other voices that are trying to lead you away from the pure, simple gospel of Jesus Christ that seeks to set you free. And you see how widespread it is. Verse 2, he's writing this to, again, all the churches that are in Galatia. Every other letter in the New Testament Paul is writing, he writes to a specific church or a specific person. He's writing this to a whole bunch of churches. Why? Because this was a widespread issue. They had problems. And he was seeking to work this thing out. Then, verses 3 through 5 he lays down on them sort of a, a gospel primer. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do is what the Apostle Paul did. He starts out in this book laying out very simply, here's the gospel. And that's what he does in verses 3 through 5. Here very simply is the gospel. So that's what we want to do right, for, right now for us, okay? Set for our foundation before we jump into anything else. Here's what we say. Here's what we mean when we say the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus saving you. All right, so let's look at four quick things in these verses. Number one, I want us to see who we are. All right, so look at verse 4. This is who you are. This is what you bring to the table. Verse 4. Who, that's going to be Jesus, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the, pre the present evil age. You had to be delivered. That word delivered means to be plucked out. The big idea is this. You ready? You are helpless and hopeless when it comes to your salvation. When it comes to salvation, the only thing you bring to it is sin. You bring nothing good to the table. You bring nothing worthy of salvation. You bring nothing worthy of redemption. You bring nothing. And I know for some we find that extremely offensive. And this is why the Bible says the gospel is an offense. Because step one of the gospel is you realizing you aren't good. You don't just do bad things occasionally. You are bad. Right? You just hear Michael Jackson singing right now in your head. That's you theologically, okay? You are bad. You are a sinner. You're not just a person that sometimes sins. This is who you are. You are this. And you had to be delivered. Sometimes you'll hear pastors try to explain this as, you know, someone out uh, uh, trying to swim but struggling. And so Jesus, the lifeguard, jumps into the water to save you because you're, you're not strong enough to save yourself. That is actually biblically false. You are not someone 
who's struggling to keep your head above water, but you're just not strong enough to swim to the side of the pool, so Jesus has to jump in to help you get there. You're already dead and floating on the top of the water. Right? You bring nothing. Nothing. You are not someone trying your best, but you need Jesus to help you get to the side of the pool. Ephesians 2 says, you are dead. Jesus didn't just help you get out. He had to bring your lifeless body to the shore and breathe life into it. You had to be delivered. Who are we? We're the helpless, hopeless, dead people who are in desperate need of Jesus and Jesus alone to save us. So then the second thing, what did Jesus do? Look there again at verse 4. Who, that's Jesus, gave himself for our sins, again, to deliver us from the present evil age. What did Jesus do? He gave himself for our sins. That word for there means in place of. So again, we have a false view of Christianity that's very, very, very popular. This idea that becoming a Christian gives you a second chance to get it right. Okay, you know, I, I, I messed up. I made a lot of mistakes. I did bad things. But now that I'm a Christian, whew, fresh, clean slate. I finally get a chance to do it right. We view Christianity like a mulligan on the golf course, right? You shanked it, throw another one down. Here's another chance to hit it straight. That's not Christianity either. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you were dead and depraved and far from God with no desire to turn to him. And Jesus Christ came and stood in your place. The point is not just that you got another chance to get it right. You're never going to get it right. You needed Jesus to do it for you. So think about if you're a student. So imagine you have a test, and for some of you, that's free. You have a test tomorrow you forgot about. Okay. So imagine you have a test. You show up in class for the test, and you bomb it. I mean, bomb it to where you don't get a, you don't get a single thing right. You make a zero. You even misspelled your name. Right? Bomb it. But then you have a kid beside you who's just that kid, and he aced it. 100. You have a zero, he has a hundred. And what does he do? He takes your test, marks out your name, puts his name on it, then takes his test, marks out his name, and puts your name on it. And he turns in your failing test as his and his perfect test as yours. The idea is you do nothing, and Jesus does everything. He put his perfect righteousness in your place. When he was on the cross, he didn't just die for you. He died as you. You deserve to be there, and he was in your place. He came for us. He gave himself for our sins, literally, in my place, condemned, Jesus stood, taking on my punishment, my consequence, the wrath of God that was deserved for me, and instead gave me God's grace. So again, what do we get? Verse 3, you jump up to that and see that. What do we get as a result of this? Verse 3, grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. We get the grace and peace of God. Grace is this undeserved favor of God given to us. Peace is this this settling in your hearts of being right with God, having the peace with God, and therefore now having the peace of God. Uh, Again, in the Gospel of John, Jesus told his followers, my peace I give to you. The big idea is this. When we realize that we are bringing nothing to the table, we just have Jesus save us and make us new. Jesus plucks us out. Jesus delivers us. Now we're given the grace and peace of God so that regardless of the circumstances or situation that we're in, I now have the peace of God resting and residing inside of me. Jesus is now, he gives me peace when everything else falls apart. Jesus is better than my family. Jesus is better than my job. He's better than my finances. He's better than my health. He's better than my friendships. I get Jesus. The gospel is good because in the gospel, you get Jesus. That's the point. It's not just that you get saved from hell and you get to go to heaven. You get Jesus, which delivers you from hell and allows you to spend eternity with him in heaven. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the real treasure. You get the grace and peace of God that comes only through Jesus Christ. And then last, why? Why did God do this? Verses 4 and 5 again. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. God did this not because, again, we were worthy of it. God did not save you or I because we were worthy of it, because he saw some future good that we can do. He didn't even save you because you realized your need to be saved. He just did it as an act of grace out of the kindness of his will. It has literally nothing to do with you and I. I know that for many of us, me included, salvation story involves you walking an aisle on a Sunday night and grabbing the pastor's hand and he leading you in prayer. And that, that's great. That's, and that's wonderful. That's how you came to faith in Christ. But I would submit the reason you did that is not because you realized you needed to do that, but because just Jesus in his grace was already pursuing you. Jesus was already coming after you. Some of you, you're in this room right now, and I want you to know this is so good. The reason you're here is because Jesus is pursuing you. Jesus has you here because he desires to do a great, new, amazing thing in you. And understanding that it's only because of this and only God gets the glory, that is life-changing as well. Because as humans, we desperately want to be our own saviors. We desperately want to add something good to the story. But understanding, no, this is just God. Only God gets the glory. Only God gets the praise. All I do is just follow my face and say thank you. That's all that I can bring to this. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus delivered you out of your sinful state. And he did this, placing himself in your place, redeeming you and saving you so that only God gets the glory. This is the gospel. But, listen, ever since the Garden of Eden, we as humans have desperately tried to change the story. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They 
God made them, God created them, God was with them, God loved them, God pursued them, God took care of them. And what did they do? They still ate from the tree. Why did they do that? Because at the end of the day, they were still trying to do it their own way. The Garden of Eden is the very first example of distorting the gospel. God said, just look to me for life, for me for hope, for me for right and wrong, for me for direction in your life. I want to be everything for you. And they said, I hear you, but man, I'd like to make my own decisions too. And they took the fruit. This is, it's been happening since Genesis. It's what's going on in Galatians, and it's what's going on for us as well. And I know, again, you can see this and think, I hear what you're saying, but, but what does that mean for us? And then you pick it up in verse 6. So it's interesting. As you go through the, the New Testament, in every letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he always began with some kind of great glowing greeting, right? Oh, even Corinthians. So if you know your, your Bibles, you know uh, the, the church in Corinth was a hot flaming dumpster fire, right? I mean, they, they got a dude in the church sleeping with a stepmom. They got men acting like women, women acting like men, people showing up early to church getting drunk off the community wine. Like it was First Baptist train wreck. And even for the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul, you read 1 Corinthians, he's like, I love you guys so much. You guys are awesome. I love what God's doing in you. I can't wait to show up. We're best friends. We're going to have matching sweaters and friendship bracelets. It's going to be awesome. Like even the crazy people, he was finding something to encourage them with. Even the crazy people, he was saying, you know what, though? But I know that God's doing a good work in you. I know God's doing a good work in you. I can't wait to see it happen all the way. It's going to be great. He does that in every letter of the New Testament except this one. Galatians is the only one where he skips all the God bless you's and jumps straight into verse 6. So look at verse 6. I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, I'm astonished. That word astonished means to be just dumbfounded and heartbroken. Have you ever had someone in your life do something so horrific? You weren't mad. You were just dumbstruck. Right? You weren't even mad about it as much as you were just devastated. You're just Stumbling around thinking, you just did what? That's exactly how the Apostle Paul is describing it with this church. He is in awe. He is heartbroken. He is devastated. He is dumbfounded. I am astonished. I'm just, I'm speechless. What? That they're doing what? You are so quickly deserting. It's a military term. In other words, it's meaning you jump from one army to the opposing army in the middle of the fight. You are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That word, a different gospel, means opposite. They're literally flipping sides. Adding things to the gospel of Jesus Christ is literally deserting God. 
It's turning your back on God. Legalism is not just obeying a rule. Legalism is turning your back on God because you're putting emphasis on what man can do and not what Christ has done. In verse 7, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word trouble means to shake back and forth. What's happening is this. As they're, as they're removing the grace of God from them, they're just adding trouble. Because grace isn't just what you need to get saved. You need grace to live, right? We live by the grace of God. We, we overcome sin by the grace of God. We overcome times of trial in the grace of God. Everything, we stand in the grace of God. Everything is about this. And so when you come in and you remove grace and add works, you're just troubling everyone because you now have nothing firm to stand on. This is why people who are legalistic struggle so much and are so quickly upset and angered because they've removed the one thing that's a short foundation. That's the grace of God. So now they're just, they're just troubled. Everything is anxious and worried. You ever met a legalist who's totally at peace? Doesn't exist. Why? Because you've removed the one thing that gives you peace. Verse 3, grace and peace come through Jesus. But when you remove that, all you have left is trouble and anxiety and worry and try hard and get better. And why aren't you better? You should be better. What are they doing? Verse 7. That last part says they want to distort the gospel. That word distort means, means to, to, uh, to corrupt, to pervert. It's like if I had a, a glass of water and I dropped one little drop of poison in it. And I said, would you like some? I'm like, no. Why not? 99.999% of that glass of water is pure. There's a tiny little drop of poison. But most of it's good. You would say, I'm all right, thanks. Adding the smallest little bit ruins everything. It says they're distorting. They're trying to make the gospel better, and as a result, they're just ruining the whole thing. Just ruining the whole thing. And then verses 8 and 9. These verses are awesome. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he uses a couple of extreme illustrations here. He says, look, if I come and preach a different gospel, or if even an angel from heaven bursts into the sanctuary of your church. And I love what um, R.C. Sproul, a uh, theologian, uh, says about this. He says, if an angel, he's got the, he, he smoked like a, two and a half packs a day, so he got a real voice like this. He said, even if an angel comes busting into your church, and just, just think about every time an angel is seen in heaven, just the, the glory is amazing. Everybody's falling on their face, freaking out. Even if an angel comes in and starts proclaiming to you a gospel different than this, he says, take your sunglasses, put them on to shade yourself from, uh, from the brightness, and then tell that angel to go to hell. Because that's exactly what Paul said. Verses 8 and 9, it says, let him be accursed. It says it twice. The word accursed literally means doomed 
to hell, anathema. Paul just said, hey, listen, someone comes in. By the way, uh, Mormons and Muslims both say that an angel showed up and said, the Bible isn't totally true. You should believe this. You should totally read them, Galatians 1.8. Even if an angel from heaven shows up and says, yeah, 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 yeah. But this, you look at them and you say, your message is from hell, so why don't you go ahead and follow it back there. You, you, you're, you're not staying here. This is how serious this is. This is how big of a deal this is. When we take the pure, unadulterated, radical grace, salvation of God through Jesus Christ away, it changes and ruins everything. So then in verse 10, he says, For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's so funny. The, the one pushback they have against Paul is, well, he's just trying to please man. He's just trying to please man. And Paul's like, I just told everybody to go to hell. Am I still trying to please man? Right? I mean, like, I kind of think not. So as we look at this, and as we go through the Galatians, the, the temptation, this is the temptation as you go through the entire Bible, is, yeah, but what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? What does that mean? Yeah, but we don't do I mean, we're not talking about Mosaic law and circumcision, but what does this mean for me? And I would submit to you that the, the issue being fault here in Galatians is very much still alive today. Yes, believe by faith in Jesus, and you got to do this now too, right? My Baptist friends... They're very quick to say, yes, 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 of course, you have to believe in Jesus to become a Christian. And if you're really a Christian, you're also going to obey these rules. My Reformed friends, yes, yes, believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, him and him alone, absolutely. But if you're really a mature Christian, you're also going to believe exactly like this, read just these books and like just these preachers, and especially not like any of those preachers. My charismatic friends, yet believe by faith in Jesus, and that is it. And if you're really strong in your faith, you'll also manifest these gifts. Even in this room right now, listen to me. There are people in this room right now, you are believing a false gospel. And the false gospel you're believing is one based on your performance. If you feel like you're doing well, if you feel like things are going good, if you feel like you're growing in the Lord, you come in on a Sunday and you are bumped, man. You're singing loud and you're excited and all is good. But when things aren't going well and you give in to that temptation and you're walking in that sin and the Bible study has not been as strong as it was previously, you can walk in and you can feel discouraged and beat down and self-condemned. I want you to hear what the story of Galatians is going to be telling you is this. You're believing a false gospel and Jesus wants to set you free from it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this. You have been made new by him and there's nothing you can ever, 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 ever do to mess it up. Nothing. So when you've had an amazing and glorious week and you memorize the book of Leviticus... You're going to come in here and you're going to go, Jesus is so good, this is great. 
And then when you have a week where seriously you, you came this close to killing a kid, like you were that close, you're going to get to come in here, and because you've been made new by Christ, because it's not about your works, and it's not about how good you are, and it's not about what you can bring to the table, you're going to be able to come in here and say, thank you, Jesus, this is so good, I need this. The gospel is so good. The true, legitimate gospel is so great. And you know when you're believing the gospel that when you are jacking it up, you are really excited about the goodness of Jesus Christ. You know, litmus test, you know you are in some way believing a false gospel when you really, really, really mess up and you feel like God's not interested in you and God is distant and I'm just not sure I even want to go back to church on the Sunday. I just need to take a week off and maybe next week I'll feel better. That is a false gospel. I'm going to ask our band to come up. And I had a really interesting conversation this week with the guy in our church. He's a former Special Forces guy, retired. And uh, like many, he's been spending the last couple of weeks trying to help people get out of Afghanistan. And he's had some levels of success and failure and working through all of that. But I spent a little time with him this week talking, and he said, you know, it clicked. What we've been trying to do, rescuing people out of Afghanistan, I realized, really, Christianity is a big, giant rescue mission. There are people who are trapped. They're trapped in sin. They're trapped in themselves. They're trapped far from God. And our responsibility is to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and see them set free and rescued. Yes. And for the next 12 weeks, we're going on a rescue mission. For the next 12 weeks, we're seeking to see people set free. And as we walk through the book of Galatians, I want to encourage you. Three things, all right? So three things I would like for you to consider and really pray through as we work through Galatians here for the next few weeks. Number one is this. Will you be honest about where you are with God? Will you be honest about where you are with God? Not just trying your best to do the deal, trying your best to go to church. Be honest about where you are with God. Listen, there are some of you, the false gospel you're believing is this, and I need you to hear me because this is huge. This happens all the time everywhere, this room included. You'll hear the gospel and distort it. You'll go, okay, yes, I'm forgiven by God. He's always going to forgive me. I'm covered under the grace of God. Yes and amen, so I can keep walking down this sinful road, and I know God's going to forgive me. Some of you in this room, you are living lives that do not bear evidence of being changed by the gospel of Christ, but you still call yourself a Christian because when you were eight, you prayed a prayer. And I want you to know, yes, the gospel has nothing to do with you, but when the gospel has really gripped your heart, it radically changes you. It makes you different. Be honest. Have you been changed? Second thing I want you to consider, if you're a Christian, will you allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to do its good work in you and change you? 
Will you look deeper into the gospel of Christ to be changed? And will you invite people with you? Will you invite people with you that need to be set free as well? You know people. You know people that need to hear the true, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ and be made free. Will you do that? And then third, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, I want to ask you, today, will you turn to Christ and be born again? I want to ask you to bow your heads for me. And I want to, I want to talk with you just for a moment. Again, I've got good news for you. Salvation in Christ has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you at all. You need to be delivered. You need to be plucked out. You need to be rescued. You need to be redeemed. You need to be saved. And Jesus and Jesus alone can do that. He desires to make you new. He desires to breathe life into your soul. He desires to awaken love for him in your hearts today. Today. Whether you're fairly new to church and you just came in here because you just felt like you needed to or someone invited you or whatever the case may be. Or maybe you've been a part of church for a long time today. Have you trusted in Christ and in Christ alone to save you and make you new. Do that today. You can just write where you are. Say, Jesus, I know that I cannot save myself. Thank you for dying in my place. Forgive me of my sin. Save me. If that's your prayer, if that's what God is stirring in your heart, I want to encourage you as we spend some time here singing. We'd love to pray with you. You're welcome to come forward. I'll be up front. My wife will be up front. You can grab someone that you came with and talk with them. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you, and help you take these next steps in what it means to be a follower of Christ, what this looks like in your life. For those of us who are Christians, boy, let's set our hearts before the Lord and say, Jesus Christ, I pray that you'll take me deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be saved by you, Jesus, what it means to be made new in the gospel of Christ. I pray that this becomes just increasingly real in my heart and the reality that I base everything else in my life on. Jesus Christ, take me deeper in Lord God, do this in us. Do this in us for your glory. Thank you, Lord. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Stand with us, guys. We're going to spend some time here at the end worshiping Jesus. His altar is open. You can come forward and pray. You can grab someone to pray with you. But let's spend some time worshiping our amazing God and Savior who saves us and makes us new. true. We can sing and celebrate together the truth of Christ. Let's sing.
salvation. Thank you for your work. Thank you for what you do in us, for your glory and your glory alone. I pray that your gospel does this wonderful, amazing work. We know that it will. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you are continuing to do in us and will keep doing it all the way to completion. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.